0: Good morning, morning. it's good to have you here with us today and we're excited for our graduates and uh, before we dismiss kids to Kidmo, I just want to say to our graduates and to all of our students, you're entering into a world in which you feel like you somewhat have to play by others' rules, you've got to go find your career, find your job, find a place to fit in and I would tell you that's not the way to live your life. But instead, live your life by going out, finding your calling, and decide that you're going to change the world. You don't have to fit into the world as it is. Uh, The world will not be this way when you have kids graduating. But you can change the world for the better. So make all, uh, every effort that you can do this and know that you, you have everything it takes to make a difference. So we're proud of them, we're very excited for what they're doing. Those of you who are coming up and you haven't graduated yet, your day is coming, Um, I would say the same to you on the day that we celebrate your graduation. All right, Kidmo, you can go. You all have been patient long enough. I'm going to talk about you when you leave, because that's how I am. All right. Okay. I am ready to talk to you about something that uh, I don't know that you're ready to talk about, but it's one of the most crucial aspects of what it's going to look like to be empowered and where we have been so far. If we ourselves are going to be intentional, faithful followers of Jesus, he is going to draw us to places we don't always want to go. And the reality is you're going to spend your life deciding where am I comfortable, where do I want my life to fit and how do I want it to look versus where does God want me to fit and what does God want my life to look like. Now, some of what we talk about through this series is absolutely applicable to every single person. I hope everything that we talk about is applicable to every person. There are some things that you can grasp and you can take in and you can take ownership of. However, there are places where the rubber meets the road and you're either in or you're not. And what we're going to talk about today are one of those. Now, you're going to respond in many different ways depending on where you are on this topic. You're either going to go, yeah, this is old hat, I got it, or I don't like this, or I want to stop talking about this. But this is just one of many areas of your life that if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be very intentional about doing it. So far, we have where we've been together over the last two weeks has been that you are, as a follower of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are not living a life without power. You are not living a life without ability. You are not living life just trying to get by. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit if you were a follower of Jesus. That means that God lives within you. As we've looked over the Old Testament, what we have seen is that God has progressively, since the fall, been increasing His presence with us, walking along with them as they, with the Hebrews, as they left Egypt, then establishing the tabernacle where His presence would be, then the temple where His presence would be in the Holy of Holies, and then Jesus came and He was incarnate among us, and then Jesus died on the cross. He ascended to heaven after appearing to the disciples, after he rose again. The curtain was ripped in the Holy of Holies, and the presence of God left the temple. And as we read about in Pentecost, that fire that they saw whenever they would walk through the desert that would guide them, that was split over tongues of fire that came symbolically over each of the apostles, and that is when they received the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us about this. Jesus told us this would be happening. He even went so far as to say, it is better for me to actually leave you than for me to stay and you miss what's going to happen with the Holy Spirit. And yet what we experience for many of us is not the experience of power, but feeling the lack of it. We've looked over the last few years, last few decades, and we've seen a progressive decline in the sense of well-being in people and the sense... Uh, Or an incline in anxiety and fear a decline in feelings of of contentment and life is good And I can only equate that that we are moving farther and farther away from the presence of god in which jesus came to bring right to our doorstep Now what we do with that that's between us and god We can live our lives and we can go to church and we can just do life Without experiencing god's work within us You can come to church every week and and not experience God's work within you. Or you can decide, I want to experience everything that God has for me. Last week we talked about what happens when you do feel empty because we all have those moments. We all have those moments where we just don't feel recharged. We don't feel like God is working. We don't feel like anything's happening. We're just kind of going through the motions and we're just not sure, you know, what we're supposed to do. And so we just talked about remembering the promises of God, that God is there and God is working. That we need to go and be with him and draw near to him in prayer and in study and in applying his word in obedience. But there are certain things that I will tell you that if you do not have certain disciplines within your life, you are not going to experience the constant working of the Holy Spirit. These are not tests. They're not tests in which God says, listen, if you want some of me, you got to do something for me. That is not how this works. But there are practices in which when we make them a regular part of our life something changes within us something fundamentally changes and our fundamental understanding of the world changes and ourselves within it some of the practices that will keep you from being empowered are just a lack of time with god if your time with god is sunday mornings from 10 30 to 12 and that's it you are not spending time with god coming to church is not enough If this is not a daily practice for you, I will tell you that what you do here will have very minimal effect. That's one of the reasons so many people leave the church, is because we have missed out that the real thing that He wants from us is our daily following Him, not just the fact that we come to church. That's why you can come to church and feel absolutely empty. Another thing that will keep you from being empowered is a lack of understanding of God, what God's will is, what God's purpose is. And the reason that we have that lack of understanding of God is because we're not coming to him in any way to change that. And that means if we're not in scripture regularly, we are not going to understand God. We're not going to understand what God wants us to know. And and even the ability to understand God is so limited to us. But what we can understand, we've got to follow that. We've got to deepen that. A lack of submission to the teachings of God. And lack of obedience to the will of God. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today we're going to be talking about biblical generosity. Biblical generosity is not a good idea. It's not a way to fund a ministry. It's a way to live a life. It's not something that's just related to your checkbook. It's related to every aspect of your life. Because biblical generosity is fuel for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is the fuel that empowers the Holy Spirit to work in you. If you're thinking, well, that sounds like what a preacher would say about generosity. I want you to stick with me. We've got several verses and if you only hear what I have to say this morning and you don't go dig into these yourself, then you can easily walk away and forget what, what you heard as you walked out of this door. But if you will dig into God's word, you will find that what I'm telling you is true. In Acts 20, 35 is the only place recorded Jesus' words as told by Paul says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that's something that as our kids were younger, around Christmas time, this was a regular conversation. I don't know if you all have had to do this. It's better to give than to receive. Because when I, ate Christmas when I was a kid, you remember the big fat, you know, catalogs that you would get in the mail? And they had a big toy section. The edges of the page were always a different color, so kids could find them easily. I remember making up my Christmas list and I would get a piece of paper out and I just, I wanted to be as helpful as I could to to whoever was doing this and I would write down what it was, how much it was, where they could get it, what the model number was and any other distinguishing numbers that they may confuse it for something else. And with our kids and with myself, there's a constant having to learn. It's better to give than to receive when you're young and when you're immature. That is not something that, that makes sense, right? It's like, okay, whatever. I don't believe it, but I'll do what I have to do to, to do some receiving, all right? Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. In Acts chapter 4, uh, starting with verse 33, talks about what the church became and what generosity looked like among them. It says the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money of the apostles to give to those in need. Now, this is not a prescription. It does not mean that next week when you come, you need to bring the deeds to everything you own. <laughs> we're going to liquidate them. We're going to disperse them through the community. That sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, to me, I don't know about to you, but uh, we're not going to do that. This is not a prescription, but this is how they function. The point is not that they sold and that they gave. The point is that there was among them a sense of generosity so that there were none in need. I want you to know that biblical generosity isn't just an ideal like we should do that. It is an expectation among followers of Jesus because God himself is generous. He is the model of generosity for us. Now, we often break down this understanding of I need to follow Jesus and I need to be like Jesus. and I need to become more like Jesus. We often stop when we start talking about generosity. Oh, that's what the wealthy do. That's what the people that have means do. That's what the people with lots of money do. They're generous because they have a lot more than me, so they should give away some of what they have. But when we talk about following Jesus and becoming like Christ... There is no greater act of generosity than to give your life for someone else. And God himself is generous. He is generous with his presence. He is generous with meeting our needs. He is generous with his love. He is generous with his mercy. His mercies are new every day. He is generous with his grace. And scripture even tells us that he is generous with the things that he owns, which is everything. Most of us are going to spend our lives focused on the way that we have to survive. What are our jobs? How much are we going to make? What is our car payment? What is our house payment? Now, some of us, we have graduates. How how are we going to get through college? We're looking forward to the day they move out. We watch all the statistics that say they won't move out because kids today don't move out. And we look at that with fear and trembling. I'll tell you, when Jake was born on that day, I began regretting this day that we would be talking about his graduation. I thought it was a day that would never come. Parents with kids that were adults would tell me, you know what, it's going ha- to go faster than you think it is. And I'm like, yeah, it, I, I'm, we're still changing diapers. It feels like it's not going to go fast enough. I'll tell you that right now. And here we are 18 years later. And it's hard to imagine how quickly those 18 years have gone. Now we're moving on from how do we take care of ourselves and how do we empower our kids to take care of themselves. Because one thing I want all my kids to do is to be self-sufficient. Can I get an amen? Isn't that what you want for your kids? I told them all for years now, you better get a good job because I'm coming to live with you. I am coming to live with you. And if you don't want me living right beside you, you better have an addition to the house, and that's going to take some money, so you better get a good job. I don't know if y'all are having that conversation with your kids. I would suggest you start now if you see that as a possibility. Malia is five years old. I looked down there, and the, I think it was the principal said, you know, this caps 13 years of experience. Malia starts kindergarten next year, 13 years. Oh my gosh, what have we done? Anyways, in 13 years, we'll be doing this again. Pray for me. Pray for me. But my hope is for our graduates, for all of our youth. They will be self-sufficient. You see, most of us, what we're going to spend our lives doing is figuring that component out. We're going to save every penny we can. We're going to make every penny we can. We're going to spend every penny we can on us because that's how we survive. And what experience tells us is that the more you get does not equate to the happier life you have. Now, there is, let's be honest, a break-even point. If you're making $3 an hour, working 20 hours a week trying to support a family, there's not a whole lot of joy in that, is there? But there is a break-even point that your needs are met, and now our eyes turn to something else. My needs are met, now there's more we can have, and once we go down that path, we have a tendency to never return. It's that carrot that's in front of us. It draws us. We can't stop. We see it. We get one carrot. There's always another carrot right on the other side of it. I learned early on the things that I most wanted that were not needs. The things that I most wanted had a very limited shelf life. Once I procured them, in no time at all, they weren't all that great. Does anybody else have that experience? You work hard for something. You can't wait to get it. You finally get it, and then you realize, well, it wasn't all that great. But you know what is great? The next thing... (laughs) That one's great. Now, that is the thing I need. I don't know why I've got this thing. That's the one I need. I remember thinking uh, when I was a child how excited I would be because my parents decided not to spend everything they had. They certainly wouldn't spend it all on me and my sister. Because while you all wore all the name brand stuff, guess who didn't? Me. (laughs) You know, if it had a brand on it, it was too expensive. Even if it wasn't expensive, if it had a brand on it, we weren't getting it. I'm where i I'm making up for it right now. All right. I'm getting a kickback right now. But I remember thinking I mean this we they practice this in every area of our lives, even though we and we would go to a restaurant and they'd have a quarter machine and you could get a you know, a gumball or you could get a ring or you could get a tattoo, you know, for you really risky people that want to get a tattoo that rubs off in about 30 minutes. You can get one of those. We didn't get those. I remember thinking when I get older, I'm going to buy all the junk I can afford. I remember literally thinking that I will take a stack of quarters and I will get every single one of those rings out of that. Now, I got older, I didn't do it. So you can rest. (laughs) Not worry. I didn't do it. I'm not going to do that. But this this idea of generosity, it goes to the core of our being. Now, what you'll know about us if you've been with us, and several of you have been with us from the beginning, is you can probably count on two hands how many times we've taught over the last 11 years on generosity. And one of the reasons we haven't spent a lot of time on generosity is because the church gets a very bad reputation on this very subject. Because what we have a tendency to do is talk so much about money That it just becomes white noise and when we talk about why we need money It's really not for the needs that jesus talked about. It's really just for our own needs It's become a very hard topic to discuss and one of the reasons we kind of stayed off this topic is because we did not want to Be that Right now there's a lot of churches that need a lot of money to pay their bills Build buildings pay off debts So we didn't want to do that but the truth is if we don't teach on this then you're missing one of the most empowering parts of what life can be like. Biblical generosity isn't just an ideal, it's an expectation because God is generous. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We have to watch what draws our attention the most, and most of us are in a system in which the thing that draws our attention the most is the number on our paychecks. There's nothing more personal than than the amount of money that we make So what we could do is go around the room right now and just ask, could everyone please just tell us how much you make every year? That would make for a fun time, wouldn't it? Now, if you feel like you're doing good in this area and you don't make a whole lot of money, you may want to share more than if you do. The point is not that money is bad. Nor is being wealthy bad. But what do we do with the things that we've received? It's not just an ideal... It's an expectation. What I've learned over time, because it surely took me time to learn this, I did not grow up this way, even though my parents are two of the greatest examples who limited themselves throughout till today, continue to limit themselves. They are two of the most generous people that I know. They I can't tell you how many people they support, how many organizations they support and how much they limit their own spending on themselves so that they can do this. They are two of the very best examples that I have ever seen, while we also have incredible examples also in our congregation here. Our our generosity or lack of demonstrates what we believe about God. Bottom line. Bottom line. What we believe about God will determine where we are in the area of generosity. It will, it always will. There have been some great work in trying to understand how this affects us, and one of the, the greatest understandings for me comes in the way that we view the world through the, the mindset of scarcity or the mindset of abundance. Do you know the difference? You've probably heard this. This is not new. This is not groundbreaking. The idea of scarcity says there's only so much to go around, right? When I was a kid. Mom would rarely make cookies. Now, you mothers that make cookies every day for your kids, you're a beautiful people. You are a beautiful people. My mother was not one of those, although she's a beautiful person too, just in different ways. So when there was a big plate of cookies on the table, one time my mom and dad, still remember, bring it up and we'll tell the story of what I would do to make sure I got mine. And kids, close your ears. Don't do this. They're all in Kidmo, the young ones. The older ones, I, well you'll figure it out anyways if you lick every cookie on the plate there will be more cookies for you all right this is a truth now it's important that they see you lick them because what they don't know will still hurt them but they will eat them anyways let them know and i remember one time my mom made cookies i don't know how i was probably 17 18 at the time no i was younger than that But I licked every cookie on the plate because my fear was if my sister and my mom and my dad started eating cookies, they would be gone like that. I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to take my time devouring those cookies and so I licked them all. And I got in a whole lot of trouble. I'll tell you that. I got a whole lot of trouble. Scarcity mindset says there's not enough. I need to get what I can. An abundance mindset says, you know what? Even if all those cookies are gone, there's always more guess what? Cookies. There's always more. And in a family of four, if you make a dozen, which is, I guess, the average output of a recipe for cookies, you're still going to get at least three of them, which is pretty good. But even if you don't, or even if three doesn't feel like enough, you can always make more. That is the abundance mindset. Scarcity mindset, when it comes to our finances, says, I've got to keep every dollar. I've got to hold in every compliment. I've got to make sure no one takes advantage of me. Because if they do, something's gone that can never be replenished. We look at the world and we say there's only so much that can go around, and so I need to do what I need to do to get my peace. That's one of the things that happens within high school when you guys are preparing for college and you think, what job do I need because I want to make sure I get my peace. Understand, God has given more pieces around the table than anyone can ever be full with. An abundance mindset says I am going to have more than enough because my Father has said there is more than enough for us. The difference between abundance thinking and scarcity thinking is not just glass half full. It is not just the fact of, does that glass look half full or half empty? It's the idea that there's more water to put in the glass. So some of the differences in understanding whether you have a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset. Scarcity mindset says, I must keep everything I can get. And an abundance mindset says, I get to give because there is more to replenish. A scarcity mindset says, I must play it safe. An abundance mindset says, I can take big risks and have big faith because God is at work. A scarcity mindset se- sees the world as overtly negative. An abundance mindset sees the world as primarily positive. A scarcity mindset says, I take care of me, you take care of you. An abundance mindset says we can take care of each other. There's a difference in the scarcity versus abundance mindset. Now, I don't know where you are on that scale. I don't know where you are. You, you, you did not grow up without someone intentionally teaching you. You did not grow up with an abundance mindset. Because our default is the scarcity mindset. There's just not enough. Interestingly enough, how you grow up, whether you were in poverty or not, does not equate whether or not you will have a scarcity or abundance mindset. Certainly, if you grow up with more than enough, you have a tendency towards abundance. But even those who grew up with little, that doesn't mean you're going to have a scarcity mindset because you know you can live with much less. There's a difference in these. In Second Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's encouraging these wealthy Corinthians, and he's using some very poor Macedonians to do it. And this is what he said. You'll notice some underlines on the, this passage. It's in chapter eight, verse one. It says, we want you to know, brothers, talking to the Corinthians, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia who are very poor. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Abundance joy, abundant joy, extreme poverty, Overflowing and a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means. In other words, generosity was such a part of their lives that not only did they give whatever minimum expectation they held, but they gave as much as they possibly could. They had found such joy in this, of their own accord, also, which is important. Verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, what he's talking to them about is supporting the church in Jerusalem at this point. These outlying churches, they would take care of their own needs, but they would also support the church and what it was doing in Jerusalem. And he was encouraging them to be a part of that. Verse 5, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, which is important. Because in this group of people, the way they developed biblical generosity, it wasn't biblical at the time, they're forming what was biblical generosity. What they were doing and what was happening was as a result of their drawing near to Christ. This is an important distinction. Because guilt is a poor motivator for giving and for generosity. But that is sometimes the most direct route to getting some money in. And that's why the church gets that reputation. But it is a poor, poor way to encourage someone to experience the power of the Holy Spirit and being aligned with Christ if you do it in that way. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Generosity is a part of you and I giving ourselves to the Lord. Bottom line. When we withhold, then we also are withholding from aligning with Christ. You first have to give yourself to the Lord. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should com- complete among you this act of grace, this same act of being generous. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and those are all the things that we, we like to talk about. We like to talk about having big faith. I want to believe in big things. We like to talk about, you know, being good at sharing the gospel. We want to share the gospel well. We want to be strong in sharing the gospel well. We want to be good and excel in knowledge. We want to learn lots of scripture and that feels good in all earnestness and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also in the act of generosity. Now up to this point, we could go in many different directions talking about this, couldn't we? This is the direction I want to go in. Generosity is a bigger gift to the giver than to the receiver. Amen. Preach it. Preach it, girl. Generosity is a bigger gift to the giver than to the receiver. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. In other words, there's great blessing that comes in taking on a a mindset of generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 6, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. In other words, the guilt trip is not the reason to give. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. A few years ago, there was a very popular small book called The Prayer of Jabez. Some of you may have read it. It did so much damage to the church. The prayer of Jabez is a beautiful prayer. And it's Jabez essentially saying, you know, God, enlarge my borders for the purpose of being generous. Yet the prayer of Jabez became a call to praying for asking God to give us lots and lots of stuff. It did so much damage to the church. The prayer of Jabez itself is a wonderful prayer, misused, It is a key to bondage. What Paul is saying here to the Corinthians is, God has more than enough to give us. Now, here's where we begin to diverge between those who have chosen the generous lifestyle and those who have not. Those who have chosen a generous lifestyle don't take a whole lot of convincing because they have experienced what God has done in their life as a result of the generosity. And it is a reciprocal blessing. The more you give, the more you receive. As Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. But as you give, you receive. Now, the prosperity gospel has taken this and totally messed this message up. She'll give me $10 today. God will give you $100 tomorrow. It is an evil teaching. It is a corruption of the very fabric of the gospel. You give a little, God will give you a lot. But a person who's chosen the path of generosity has found what God gives me, while may not replenish me financially, replenishes me spiritually and in so many other ways, but often replenishes you financially because you have chosen to give away what he's giving you. There's a difference when you give somebody $10 and they keep it. I love these videos where they show someone just randomly, and sometimes you wonder, is it a setup? But they don't look like a setup, where they go and they randomly give somebody who's living on a park bench money, and they go and buy all their homeless friends something with it. There's something beautiful about that. There's something God-centered about that. When you begin to embrace the idea that God wants us to live generously, we begin to receive much more than we give. But this is kind of, this is one of those steps of faith, that once you're in it, you get it. Taking those steps when you have a scarcity mindset. But if I give this, I might not have enough. Whether it be time, it be finances, whether it be forgiveness for crying out loud. Did you know forgiveness is an act of generosity, and many times more so for yourself than for the person you forgive? It's amazing what happens when we adopt a generous mindset. What I've shared before and what I want to be sure that you hear me say today is that shame is a short-term motivator for generosity. This is not my purpose for today. I don't know where you are in this. It's It's not my business to know where you are on this. But joy and contentment makes it a habit. There's something amazing when the carrots stop appearing in front of your eyes and you feel the need to go get it. That's called contentment. It's amazing when a new commercial comes on about the latest and greatest and you don't feel compelled to go get it it's called contentment and it is fleeting and hard for many to find shame is a short-term motivator i don't want you to give today out of shame i don't want you to give tomorrow out of shame i don't want you to ever give to us out of shame that does not honor christ god is not the author of shame Jesus did not die on the cross so that we would follow him out of shame. There is a piece of shame that we all deal with. That leads us to repentance. But that is not the way in which we follow Christ. If the only reason we follow Christ is out of shame, then we are not following the Christ of Scripture. Shame is a poor motivator. Just a couple of things. I don't know where your thoughts are on this, but I want you to know that biblical generosity is not determined by your income. It is not determined by your income. Luke 21 gives us a very convicting story for me. Jesus looked up, saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. They're putting a lot of money in. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, the poor widow has put more in than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. It's not about income. as I was growing up, I believed it was about income. You needed to earn a certain amount before you could give anything to anybody. I mean, why am I going to help you? I can't even pay for myself. The problem with that mindset is that I I never can pay for myself because there's always something else I want, right? So I'll never make enough money. And if you're not sure If that's the, you like to try it, you know, sometimes we joke about that. I'd really like to try to be wealthy. You know, that would be a lot of fun. I sometimes tell my friends who don't like their jobs, why don't you just be independently wealthy like me? They don't laugh, but I laugh. I think it's funny. They don't think it's funny. But biblical generosity is not determined by income because it is not, God is not honored by the amount on the check or the amount of the cash. God is honored by the intent of the gift. Some of the greatest gifts that have ever been given here are by those who have very little to give. And their gift was not a huge amount. But the fact that they were giving and it was difficult and it was hard for them reaped incredible rewards, not only for them but for our church. It is not about the amount. It is about the heart of the gift. Let me also say this, because I often hear this as a pushback for generosity. Well, I want to be really sure that where I give my money, is they are worth it. While biblical generosity is not determined by income, it is, should not be determined by outcome either. Now, I know a lot of generous givers. My dad and I have had many conversations about this, and he, he is one who says, I want to know how the gift is used, which is wise. You don't want to give into a barrel with a hole in the bottom of it. You want to make sure that it's a wise stewardship of what God has given you. That is wise. That is not what I'm pushing back against. I'm pushing back against the idea that, well, I'm not going to give because I'm not sure that's a good investment for my money. A lot of people see giving this way, and it is the wrong way to see it. see somebody on the street who's hungry, I'm not sure they're really homeless. They may use my money to go buy a beer And i'm sure not going to take my money and give that to them so they can go buy a beer And when we do that we begin to say my generosity is based on whatever outcome I Desire god says no generosity is not about the outcome generosity is about the heart of the giver God does something to empower the heart of the giver It is not about ensuring that you're paying for something outside Of what god's called you to so biblical generosity is not determined by outcome. Isaiah thirty-two-eight says, Generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. I'm going to be generous. It, they may go take that money, and they may go, go buy a beer. That's not really the point. I think you can be smart. Some of you, you go out and you're like, hey, I'm going to go buy you a meal. Come with me. I think that's wise. That's good stewardship. But do not let a a desired outcome determine whether or not you're generous. Because remember, generosity is about the giver, not about the receiver. The receiver receives, and they are blessed by that, but the giver is blessed more so because they have given. So This is a difference in the way we understand generosity. It's a difference in the way that we see it that way. But biblical generosity is not determined by your income. In other words, I don't make enough to give. It's not determined by the outcome. i do not sure I trust them that this is a good use of my money. Because it's not our money. It's God's money. Instead, generosity is a way of life for the follower of Jesus. Now, I want you to see that generosity is bigger than just money. See, in the church, we've been building big buildings for so long now that generosity is almost always discussed in the realm of money but if you will follow the teachings of Jesus follow the teachings of the old and new testament you will find that generosity is a lifestyle of those who know God not just a way to fund projects and so when we look we talk about generosity forgiving those who have harmed us yes that is generosity caring for the needs of others someone's in need God wants me to help meet their need That's a mindset, that's a way of living life. That's that's just a way of life. If someone harms you, turn the other cheek. That is generous. See, you slap them back. Oh, you're not taking anything from me. There's only so much of me to go around, my ego, my reputation. You slap me on the cheek, I'm going to retaliate because I'm not letting you take that piece of me away in the eyes of other people. I'm going to slap you back. No, turn the other cheek. What about your enemy, the people who are here and want to do you harm? I mean, they want to do you in. They want to see you fail. They want other people to look at you and say, you're no count. That Love your enemies. Pray for them. I'll tell you, it's hard to pray for an enemy. They won't stay an enemy long. See, the mindset of following Jesus is a mindset of Generosity. Do you go around looking for ways to compliment people? Or do you go around looking for a compliment? Two different ways of living life. Scarcity versus abundance. If you're a scarcity mindset, I'm looking for a compliment. And so I will edge into the conversation what I've done. And if they don't take the bait, I'll add a few more tempting details. So they know what I've done. It's one of the ways we deal with insecurity within us. Scarcity mindset says, I need someone to recognize my value. person in an abundance mindset says, I see you, you are valuable, I want you to know it. I can give you this because there's so much more I'm receiving from God. There's a difference in a scarcity and abundant mindset. We go all through scripture and we find this. We find this in tipping. I find it. I find it offensive, and I don't use that word very often. I hate that word, but I find it offensive. The memes that suggest people who follow Jesus and are at church on Sunday don't tip on Sunday afternoon. I find that offensive. Here we are following the most generous of all possible beings. These memes wouldn't happen if it didn't, if it didn't happen. You know, tipping is an act of generosity and not just because they gave you excellent service. Because if they watch you walk out of a church, maybe they're a guest with us in church today and then we go and sit at their table and we go, oh, I wasn't good service. I'm not tipping today. What message do you think they've received? Not that God's generous, not that they're valued and certainly not that we're following the God of the Bible. Maybe it's in the area of tipping. Maybe it's in the area of offering a helping hand to people maybe in serving. Generosity is a way of life. I know it's hard to believe this, but some of the children in our children's ministry are not perfect little children. Did you know that? I know some of you are thinking about volunteering and I've just swayed you to the other side, but some of our children are not perfect. In fact, I really don't think any of them are. I'd fix them all if I could. I mean, not like, you know, that was a wrong analogy, but I, you know... Even my own, I'm forced to say, are not perfect. Sometimes generosity is the gift of loving a child, even when it costs us. They're not listening. They're not paying attention. They are not sitting still. I mean, where does that happen? Where does that happen? Now, if you have a lollipop, you know, like, hey, if you'll sit still, here's a lollipop. Okay, if you'll come over and do this activity, here's another lollipop. You know, we, our kids would be like, they walk out of here like wire, you know, I'm just sugared up. I'm like, great. I love church. Let's go back to church. <laughs> it's wonderful. stuff. give me candy to sit still. It's wonderful. <laughs> generosity is a way of life for the follower of Jesus. If we're going to be the church, we have to be a generous people. Biblical generosity requires a plan. You will not accidentally become generous. You must believe this is what God wants. You must plan within your finances. The average person today is two weeks away from being homeless. That means if they don't get their paycheck on time, if they're out of work for two weeks, they're out on the street. We are leveraged to the hilt. Everything within the marketing platform is moving you to not owning a thing. You're not going to own music on iTunes. You're going to subscribe to Apple Radio. You're not going to buy a movie anymore. I mean, some of, your, some of your cars don't even have a CD player in, in them, right? How many of you, you know, still have VCR tapes? You're a dinosaur, right? Marie, you need to get a DVD player. Did you, have you tried to go buy a VCR? At a yard sale is about right. You're not going to go buy a new one. It's like trying to find a beta, you know? It's not, they're, they're gone, even in your cars. you got to stream it now. you got to stream it. You can't put a CD in. There are no CD players going to go in cars anymore. The marketing goal is to keep you continually indebted. Do you know why you have so many banks offering you credit cards at such great deals? It's because they're going to get you on the hook and you're never going to get off again. I've shared this before. We went to a, a store where you can buy a membership and get a discount. And if we would get their credit card... We get 4% cash back on a 19% interest credit card. Do the math. They know what they're doing. When I was in college, I would go to my P.O. box. You know how many letters I got? None. Occasionally from my mom. That's it. You know how many credit card applications I got in my little P.O. box in college? I hadn't made a dime yet in my life, but I can get up to $10,000 of credit to go get me a cool stereo because we didn't buy TVs then. We didn't buy a PlayStation. They didn't have that kind of funds. I mean, they did, but... They want you to be indebted. And they want you to live paycheck to paycheck. And they want you to never stop and think what life could be like if you would get off that roller coaster. Because as long as you're on that roller coaster, they've got you. They've hooked you. And remember one time we were new in, in ministry. We didn't make anything. We started having kids, credit card debt started ballooning. I remember we, we moved, sold a house, we used all the income to get out of debt. I got a phone call within a week, same credit card. We've noticed that you've just made a large payment on your credit account, and we want you to know you now qualify for a lower interest rate. Would you like to, we can send you the cash right now for the amount that you just wrote. You can have that cash for expenses you need today. And I hung up on them. That was the moment I realized how it worked. I was about 29 years old, 30 years old. See, generosity is a way of living life that the world doesn't value. And they will keep you stuck. They will keep you there, and they're happy for you to be there. Now, if you're going to plan and have a plan for this, you're going to have to limit your spending on yourself, period. My guess is, if you're not generous, your savings account probably doesn't look that great either. Generous people have a tendency to have more in savings, because once you start limiting yourself, you start seeing the benefit of it. And now, all of a sudden, it's not about income. You have more to give with. You will have to make difficult decisions. Do I really need a car that will massage my back while I'm going down the road? I mean, that's up for debate, I guess. But come on. I mean, do you really need a car that gives you a massage? But they do exist. <laughs> You're going to have to make some difficult decisions. Sometimes a decision is to buy a car that's used because I can't afford a new one. Sometimes that means we don't live in the house that our parents lived in. A study came out years and years ago that one of the my, major problems with my generation, with Gen Xers, was that we wanted to launch out of our parents' house and we wanted to live just like them right away. Which is why our generation began the process of moving back home with mom and dad. Leverage ourselves to the hilt. And now we're done. Now we're done. I do want to talk to you about Journey's finances as well. Maybe you saw this coming. But perhaps this is a different conversation than you're used to in the church. We all have to make decisions based on our finances. If you take a pay cut, you may have to move into a lower-income apartment or house, right? You may not be able to go buy that house that you want, or you might not be able to go buy that car that you want. You may not be able to take that vacation that you want. You make stewardship choices based on what you do. And I shared with you in January how strong our budget was and I think I'll never do that again. (laughs) Because I want to share with you where our budget is now. Let Me also preface this by saying which you may or may not believe me this is not the point of this sermon but this is an application of it. This is our basic budget for how we run things. Staff, that includes all our staff that includes... Taxes, our fees, everything that we do that relate to, to payroll. Facilities is what it costs to be in this place every month. That's our utilities, that's our rent, that's our dumpster, you know, that y'all use and don't tell anybody when you pull in here on Friday night at ten o'clock for fear somebody's gonna catch you putting something in the dumpster. Listen, I've seen it, I've seen it. Hoo, hoo, hoo. You know, and they get out. It's it's terrible. And I just look. I stand at the window and look. Not because they can't use a dumpster. I just think that is a sad way to live life. But anyways, (laughs) worship ministry. This is monthly, by the way, not annually. Monthly. We spend almost nothing on worship ministry. Most of that goes to maintenance or media or something like that. Children's ministry, most of that figure goes to curriculum, snacks, child care. We've got a couple of places for child care that we do pay those who keep kids at difficult times youth ministry most of that is goes to well not even snacks because most of our youth leaders cover most of the cost of most of the things that go on there that's mostly covers huge extra expenses and people that can't pay to go to huge ladies ministry same thing Pretty much a self-contained ministry. Most of that goes to any shortfall for the retreat that they do once a year. Hospitality, that's the coffee, water, creamer. Because you all have specific tastes in coffee. I don't know. Black's the only way to take it. But you all put all kinds of crazy stuff in your coffee. A lot of that number over the last few months and years has been taken over by volunteers who will bring a lot of that stuff in. Benevolence is an occasional need. That's approximate, it doesn't always. It's sometimes more than that, sometimes less than that. Miscellaneous or other things. This is an absolute minimum budget for a church. Absolute minimum. Next slide. So in order to do that, that's a budget of 150 dollars a year. Some of you may live on more than that just in your household. That's how we do this church. And that means a minimum monthly of 12 grand, 12.5 12, a, uh, a month. 2018, we skimmed under after an enormous December giving. Lots of people gave in December. It was an enormous month, bigger, but twice as big as any other month, and it put us over the tipping point. And so in 2018, our annual giving was 155000 January, I said, We're looking good. Y'all did good. Y'all been generous. This is wonderful. We're ready to go again. So twenty nineteen where we should be right now in the third week of May should be at forty-two or should be at fifty-five thousand. We're at 424. That means we're down thirteen thousand dollars for the year thus far. Now, this is where my guilt trip comes in. Y'all better get your checkbooks out and start writing now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> now and that's the way it happens in most churches. That's not how we do things here. Whenever your income goes down, you make hard decisions. When our incomes go down as a church, we're a church family, we make hard decisions. And so, some of those decisions are going to be, I go to that previous slide. There's only a few places we can cut here. We can cut in staff and we can cut in facilities if we move. Our facility costs have become Overwhelming. It's not no longer financially viable for us to meet in this space doesn't mean there aren't other spaces see in many churches the building is the church for us the building is people i mean i'd be fine to meet in the park every sunday i've been told not everyone would be on board with that idea i don't know why but because i think it sounds awesome but in a budget like that there's a, not a whole lot of money that goes to the poor and I'll tell you that our opportunities right now to serve in the community are exponentially growing. Right now we have the opportunity to take on a couple of ladies that need their, home, their yards taken care of, older ladies in North Chattanooga. That's, that's time, very little money. Red Bank United Methodist is putting together a food pantry and they're going to need help both in volunteering and in providing food. Met with the uh, a rep from the Chattanooga Food Bank this week. And Chattanooga Food Bank has great needs just to help children have a meal that usually get it at school. Some of you have been sharing the post, text this number, you can get food. I asked her, where does that number go? What happens to that number? And it goes to the USDA, who's in charge of a grant that funds that program. And the reality is they get a text that says, well, these are the area, people in your area that could possibly give you a meal if you can get there. It is not a guaranteed meal. But they have a guaranteed program that if we have some volunteers over the summer that would stand at a table in a place where kids congregate and would hand out meals, we just go get the meals and hand them out. It didn't cost anything. And we can just help provide meals for kids. If you're interested in doing something like that, I've already committed us. <laughs> I, t- I haven't told anybody that. <laughs> Surprise! But listen, if I'm going to stand before Jesus and they said, did you send a couple of people to go hand out food, I'm going to be able to say yes, even if I'm both of them. I'll take one of my kids with me, right? I want you to be there and be a part of that too. If you're interested in doing that, you can do it any time of day. I need you to come talk to me. We're partnering with Red Bank United Methodist and Mission Red Bank, which is an Anglican church. We're partnering with both of them. They're going to be providing some volunteers for this as well. There are no locations that I know of in Red Bank at this moment. They have a place to put the meals together. We need to do that. So we've started cutting some staff stuff. Not, yeah, we've started cutting some staff stuff. We are looking at the facilities cost. Now, why don't I share this with you? My goal is not to keep this space at all costs. If we cannot be good stewards of what God's given us and we're spending all of our money for giving it to our landlord, that is not good stewardship and that is not honoring Christ. We are not called to keep building owners in business. Our hope when we moved here would be that we would grow financially and every otherwise in order to meet an increasingly growing lease amount each year. And it continues to increase. Now, you may say, well, how have we gotten to this position? And I would say nothing catastrophic has happened. We've had some changes in people's status. Some who are working aren't working anymore. We've had a couple, two or three, that were giving and are no longer giving. They've moved on or something in life has changed and they're not able to give. Nothing catastrophic has happened. But with increasing expenses... And decrease in giving, we find ourselves in this unhealthy predicament to which we are going to find a solution for. So I share that to you with you simply to say, I'm not asking you to bail out this budget. This may be God saying, it's time, I've got some other plans for you. And I'm fine with that. Anytime God calls us on an adventure, man, I'm the first one to sign up. But I also want to share it with you that I sometimes hear people say, I will give but not to the church. And I would ask you why. I would ask you why. We don't just exist off the goodwill of others. We have bills too. I would ask you to support your church to the best of your ability. I will never show up at your door and ask you to explain your giving. That's not my business. Because your giving is not between me and you. Is between you and God. That is not a guilt trip. That is a reality. If you're good with God on what you're doing, I am never going to disagree with him. If you feel content and confident, confident that God has told you to do what you're doing, I would tell you to continue. For some of you, you've been incredibly generous and you're tempted right now to whip out another check. And I want to say, if God so leads you, do it. But if you are already giving generously, the answer here may not be a bailout from those who are already giving very generously. It may be that we need to change some things. Some of you are giving very generously in places outside of this church and it's about to break you. The point is not that you now need to take on more here, but we together can meet the needs together if we're regularly giving. The trends are against us and that giving across the board over all nonprofits, all churches, all groups that thrive off of giving are seeing the same trend that we're seeing because the mindset of generosity in this day and age has changed. People don't give. We're seeing this across the board, across industries. It's happening everywhere. If we're going to be the church, we're going to be empowered by Christ. This cannot be our story. We cannot just consistently say somebody else will take care of it. Because that's somebody else who's not going to be there when we stand before Christ. Now, whether it's giving, giving is not the only issue that are one of these rubber meets the road kind of things. But it is a big one. If you're in small groups and you're going through the sermons, you're going to be talking about the parable, of the, or not the parable, but the story with the, the rich young ruler. and He comes up and he says, I've done all these things. And he says, one more thing you still need to do. You need to give everything you have away. I don't want to give away the discussion because you all need to have a very heartfelt discussion there, but the reality is that giving financially is one of the last bastions that we hold on to for self-sufficiency. Most people don't put their hope in the amount of time that they give. We'll give our time. Most people put their hope in their money, and it's the last thing we give back to God. Because if I've got, if I'm certain of my bank account, I don't have to worry about if my needs will be met. And God says, "Well, you're supposed to rely on me for that." Generous people learn that. So, how do you get started, and how do we do this? Let me say this first of all: Given the numbers I've given you, did I have another slide? This is where we are. Next slide. This is where our giving has been. Our needed monthly is twelve five. In January, we were at seven nine. February at nine four. Big one in March. March had five weeks. Twelve seven. April, we were at 9,037. So far in May, it's been a big May. After, from the first two weeks, we've almost, we've had almost as much as January and almost as much as March and February. So May may be another boomer month, and, you know, that will be great. That's two weeks in. That's where we are. The church is not shutting down, but we will make changes as we need to. Whether, and the only two areas that we can do that is going to be... An, in our staff um, salaries, and then in our, our building. So we're looking at how to manage both of those. We're not shutting down. There's not my point in showing that. It's just for you to be aware where we are. Now, how do you get started? I'm going to close because I'm going over and um, our ch- we're going to have five children's workers resign this today if I stay, keep them too long in there because some of your kids aren't perfect like mine, right? How do you get started? Here are six things I would encourage you to do, and I would encourage you to do it right now. Whether you're giving nothing, $5 a month, $10 every 17 weeks, whatever it is, how do you get started? Number one, I would encourage you to pray about it. If you give because I'm up here talking about this, and that's the only reason you give, you won't give long. Because this has to be between you and God. It can't be between you and me. It has to be between you and God. It is sustainable when you feel God calling you to this. If you will study Scripture, anyone who says Scripture tells me I'm not supposed to give, I will say you need to go back and read it again. Number two, after praying about it, you have to plan. You have to plan. There are more opportunities to create an online budget with free tools that are easy to follow now more than any other time in history. You've got to plan. You've got to set some aside and and I recognize when you start at a new expense, those can be difficult. Number three. Start where you can. The point is not that we need everybody to just empty out their savings. Not the point. Start where you can. See the part of being generous, it's not the dollar amount. It's about the heart that's behind it. I'm doing what I can. Just doing what I can. Number four. Work towards a goal. What does being generous look like to you when you read Scripture? There are some that would say tithing. Some would say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. We don't tithe. You know what tithing means, 10%. You go back and add up all the offerings in the Old Testament, and we're up to 30%, 40%. I mean, the, you start adding them all together. I'm not suggesting you need to do that. I'm not telling you shouldn't. But that's when you and God, and you have to make that goal. Work towards a goal, whatever that goal is going to be. And that goal also does not mean you give it all to us. You should support the church. But you should support people outside the church too. We shouldn't be the only receiver of your generosity. We should be a receiver, not the only receiver. Work towards a goal. Number five, celebrate the rewards. There is a reward in being generous. Receive it, celebrate it, know it. Number six, and let your generosity grow. When you start somewhere, and then you grow from there, that is a beautiful place to be. If that's a dollar a week, do a dollar a week. Let it grow. It's not my place to tell you how much you're supposed to give. That's between you and God. It's not our place as a church to keep this building funded. We can meet anywhere. But let's make sure that we're all in on what we're doing together. We're all contributing regularly. And ultimately, let me end with what I began with. Biblical generosity is fuel for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You want to see the Holy Spirit do something? Attack the last stronghold in your life that you keep God out of. Give Him your money. Give Him your finances. And I don't mean that by give it to us as giving it to God. I'm not going to use words like that. I would rather say, let your lifestyle be in the hands of God. And then reap that reward. I've heard it said before, I'm not the one to originate it. You will live better on 90% with God than you will on 100% without him. Let me encourage you to find those places. Let me also encourage you to find places outside of this ministry. There are other places that are doing good things in our community, and we need to support them. As we continue to have more opportunities to reach out in our community, the Red Cross has come to us with some opportunities that we, we can go into some homes and help those in our area. We can do that. And then we have several things that we're looking at as far as community ministry where we can go out. We want to be outside these walls. Those are all things that take time, but they're going to take some resources as well. If we use all our resources up just doing a service once a week, we've got to change that. We've got to change that. All right? Let's pray. Father, God, you're a generous God. You've given us life. You gave your son for us. You give us mercy and grace every day. I pray you'd give us wisdom in our own lives. I pray that we would be known as a people who are generous in all our relationships. I pray that we would be a people that when we see a need, we meet it. See, want someone who needs a meal, they have it. Someone needs help getting into the next step or next season of life, we're there to lend a hand. I pray that when we look at what we receive every week in our paychecks, we will know that you have given us this opportunity. And because we've given our lives to you, you are our Lord and Savior. It is all yours. Father, I pray that you would just uh, just speak to every person here on where you would have them to be, both inside this church and out, so that we can be the church as it is meant to be, a group of people pouring themselves out for others, seeing you empower us through your spirit and doing incredible works, just like you did in that church early in Acts. Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy. I ask all this in Jesus' name.